0: Um, But anyways, that's going on. So we're we're doing a sermon series on how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We're gonna spend the next, you know, I think seven weeks or something um, getting stories from the Bible, stories from people's lives of how they were able to overcome, find strength in adverse times to strengthen themselves in the Lord. This sermon series will probably pump you up. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. It's gonna pump you up. It might get pretty weighty here and there. Well, no, it didn't work. All three services, so <laughs> glad we don't have a fourth. Um, but yeah, it is, it's just about finding that place, um, finding, finding our strength in the Lord and not in ourselves. So why do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? Why do we need to learn this? Um, because if we're honest, a lot of us are um, fatigued uh, in life, in spiritual life, emotional, mental, living through the COVID-19 pandemic. The 2020 political power struggles and two years of divisive ideological warfare has felt a lot like canoeing into the wind. Has anybody ever done that, canoed into the wind? It's horrible. It's exhausting. It takes incessant corrections just to stay straight on course and endless paddle strokes to stay in the same place, let alone make any progress. And now we're getting to the middle of 2022 where we see the exhaustion giving way to failed marriages and friendships, failing mental health, and wars and rumors of worse. Whether it's right or not, God only knows, but we all feel that we're on the brink of a much more severe societal collapse. The growing confidence in the incompetence of our leaders, the just keep kicking the can down the road financial policies of the last decades seem like it could blow up in our faces at any moment and the intentional tearing out and tearing up of the moral fabric, which I believe has led to the good fruit of the last 250 years in our country, is going to take us to a new place. And the Bible has lots of warnings about the new place that doing what is right in our own eyes will take us. As the old song says, it's getting, it's getting, it's getting kinda hectic, it's getting, it's getting. getting." Yeah, that one's better this service. Yeah, so that one can stay, maybe. Jeremy, no? Was just give, I was just getting a no from one of my good friends. Um, also, along with all of that, this year began, you know, we started our, our year off with a, with a Prophecy Sunday is what we called, where we were just trying to hear from the Lord about this new year, and, and what He might speak into our community, and how He might give us some guidance, and, and, uh, and so we did. We, we listened to the Lord, and, and I felt like I, I got a bit of perspective. Um, And what it was, was watch as the shaking of 2020 gives way to the breaking of 2022. This is the year you will either bounce back or be broken. God is going to finish the work he began by allowing the pandemic. The only way to be buoyant in the flood of failure of nerve, failure of heart, and falling away is to increase the buoyancy of your inner life. The despair, the loneliness, the division, and disruption will cause many to sink and their faith to become shipwrecked. But like filling your air with lungs can help you float, filling your soul with God's word will make you buoyant. Like putting on a life jacket can keep you afloat, putting on the armor of God, the assurance of salvation, walking in righteousness, defending your faith, being held up by truth and standing fast in the good news of Jesus' love and forgiveness will make you buoyant against the flood. And so with all those things in mind, we thought it would be really good to spend a whole sermon series just figuring out how we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord. So that no matter what comes in our own families, in our own souls, or in our society, we will be able to find ourselves continuing to rise to the surface. Even if we get knocked down, we can rise again and be built up. And that's the kind of faith that we're trying to build inside ourselves and hopefully inside our communities and in our families as well. So with that being said, 1 Samuel chapter 30 is a great start for this. It's a super interesting story and it really kind of brings to light some things I think are, are very important as we're trying to figure out how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. So turn there if you would. Verse one says, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and all who were in it both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters were taken captive. So David and his men wept. They wept loudly until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed also because the men were talking of stoning him because each one was so bitter in spirit because of the loss of their sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Then if you skip down some verses to verse 17, it says, Then David fought them from dusk until the evening the next day, and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back, He took all the flocks and herds and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock saying, this is David's plunder. So this is an interesting story. Obviously, this was written a long time ago in a land far, far away, still on earth. Um, And it was a completely different cultural reality. So we have to be careful to take all of our cultural lenses and norms and, and apply them to them. They were living a different situation. And so the story is is trying to teach us some things more of a story than actually specifics. For instance, David had two wives. This is not the Bible saying two wives is good. In fact, every time someone has more than one wife in the Bible, it works out horribly. People are doing weird things with the scriptures these days, so you got to say things like that. But basically in this story, we have a guy who was facing some really distressing situations. David at this point was not king, but he had killed Goliath. So it was kind of this in-between time. And he had actually been kicked out of Israel, so to speak, because Saul the king was trying to kill him because he was threatened by him. And so David was out in the wilderness. And while he was out there, it says that about 600 men had come out to him because they too were not accepted in society. And they begin to kind of form this little band of brothers, this little ragtag group that would go on these different missions to to kind of help serve people and to help help, um, kind of right wrongs and things like that and protect people. And so David was out there with these guys and he decides one of these things he's gonna go do. he, He went to go do it and then three days later they come back and they find that where they live is totally burnt up. What they have as far as their families and livestock and stuff and possessions is all taken nothing's left and it's a disaster and they begin to weep not for the stuff because they're kids their kids have been taken and they don't know what's happening to them their wives have been taken they don't know what's happening to them and they're weeping loudly and they weep so loudly that eventually they can't even weep anymore because they have no more strength And then word starts getting around because the people are so angry, so grieved and distressed. They're thinking this is David's fault. He shouldn't have taken us to do this. Let's kill him. Let's stone him. And so David hears rumors of this. He's got his own distress of losing his own family. He's got his own distress of leading his men into this place where now they have all this pain. And he's got his own distress because now these guys are talking about killing him. And so... The next verse, this little phrase that survived thousands and thousands of years. David strengthened himself in the Lord. David found strength in the Lord his God. And then he goes on. He says, bring me the ephod. He gets direction from the Lord. He goes and does it, even though it might have been scary. It might have been challenging. And he recovers everything. Not just the people, not just the possessions. He recovers everything. And it's this beautiful story of how the Lord was with him, the Lord strengthened him, the Lord protected him, the Lord went with him and was able to recover everything. It's wonderful. But really, we have to dive into this phrase, he strengthened himself in the Lord. What happened right there? It's just a few verses in the, or a few words in the Bible. What actually took place in there? Now, I can't say for sure I wasn't there. I will watch the DVD when I get to heaven and figure it out for real. But what I have is I have the rest of scriptures. I have the life of David, So I can begin to kind of look into some things. We know that David, first of all, was someone who worshipped. He was someone who prayed. He had a very um, lively, very solid, very consistent, very faithful prayer life. And how do we know that? Because we have the book of Psalms. We have all of these Psalms. There's 155 of them. David wrote 73 of them. The lion's share, for sure. He's the one that was kind of teaching other people to also write songs in this way. And he would write them. He wouldn't just kind of pray. He wouldn't just kind of sing them, but he actually wrote them. They were preserved for thousands We still have them today. And basically, the way that it worked out is David would come to the Lord and he would say, I have enemies camped all around me, Lord. Lord, I'm in great distress. Lord, I've failed and I've fallen short. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he would come with his distress. He would come with his pain. He would come with all of these things, his situation. But then as he began to pray, as he began to lay out his situation, at some point he would shift and he would begin to say, but I also know who you are, God. And he would begin to talk about who God is and who God has been in the past and who God has promised to be and who God is, his names, and and the things that he is known for, and the things that he can do. And and David would kind of go through this process, and the next thing you know, he would say, and yet I will trust in you. Yet I put my hope in you. He would go through this process. And and so much so, I think that's probably what David did first, is he probably got away by himself, and he began to just kind of, okay, Lord, here where we are. Here's where I am. Here's what's going on, and I need you and I know you love me. Even though everyone else is turning against me, I know you will never turn against me. Even though I have failed again, Lord, you have come through for me so many times before. And he began to declare these truths and it began to change things and it began to strengthen himself. And for me, this has been a huge practice in my life. If you wanna talk practical about strengthening yourself in the Lord, for me, ever since I got serious about following the Lord, I started journaling. It's It's not a diary, okay? It's a journal, and it has spikes on it, and it smells like beef jerky. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. Uh, But journaling, it's been this practice where I come and I just start writing out. I have tons of journals that I've saved over the years, and it's just, okay, Lord, here's where I'm at, and I just kinda get it out of me onto this paper. And as I do that, I I, I oftentimes will say, Lord, this is where I'm at, this is what's going on, but then this is what I also know. I know you are this. I know you have been this for me. Lord, I need you again. Lord, I've been, I'm in the same situation, and Lord, it's my fault. Lord, it's somebody else's fault. Lord, it's, I think it's somebody else's fault, but it's probably still my fault. Whatever it might be, I just kind of write these things down, and it's just so amazing how once I start, it, it's just like I can fill up so many pages. I'm doing it on my phone now instead of um, in a journal because I can actually read it later. My handwriting's horrible. Um, but it's just. I'll just end up writing so much down. It's just like getting all this out. And when I try and pray without doing that, Like, I just, Lord, I just, you know, I'm hungry. Lord is just, what was that, squirrel? You know, like, I just, my mind is just so hard to keep on track. But when I'm writing it down, it just gives me such a longer ability to stay focused and to hear from the Lord. And so David had that practice. That's something I've practiced. And if your prayer life is weak, if it's not gonna be the thing that's gonna really give you the strength you need to face the challenges, I'd really encourage you to try journaling. To try just setting out those times and saying, okay, we're just gonna start writing these things out. If you don't know what to say, you could start with Thanksgiving. It's a great place to start. If you're going through a tough time, just start laying those things out. But don't just leave it at that. Also declare who the Lord is and who he's been. Declare his promises, write those things out. And in that process, a lot of times you begin to see what, what, what the Lord really is going to do. You begin to find direction as you kind of see those two, two things come together. It's really a wonderful practice. So I think that's one of the things that David did, the first thing he did. Um, but secondly, we see here that David said, Bring me the ephod. And this is also a practice that I've done in my life. Just kidding, I don't know what an ephod is really. I don't say to Brittany, Bring me the ephod, when we don't know what to do. Um, Eva brought me tea. This is not an ephod. This is just a, a little cup of tea right here. Oh, it's delicious. Um, so, but bringing me the ephod, that's what David said. And this is not the first time David did this. David did this prior earlier in his life. This is something that was a common practice from the people of Israel. The ephod was something that the priest was supposed to wear. And and when he was wearing that, he was supposed to be able to access the presence of God in some way, to get direction from the Lord in some way. It was a special thing that God wrote in. God declared it was his idea. Book of Exodus, Leviticus, you can read about it. It was God-ordained. It was what God wanted to do. And so, This is a picture of an ephod, just in case you need a mental picture. There it is, I don't have one of these. I probably should get one. But the ephod is basically the part over his torso in the middle section. It's a cloth thing, it's something that they would wear. And in there, you can barely see it, but there's 12 stones, each one different. Each one represented one of the tribes of Israel. And there was 12 stones in it. And then there's like this secret kangaroo pouch behind it. It's not the way the Bible describes it, but, in there was the Urim and the Thumum. You could say it; it's fun. Urim and Thumum, go for it. You got the Tohu VaBohu last week. You got the Urim and the Thumum this week. It's fun stuff. The Urim and the Thumum. This is a fascinating, bizarre study in the in the biblical narrative of what's going on here. These these these. Urim and the Thummim, they mean like light and clarity or light and shiny. And somehow the Talmudic tradition believes that there was something unique and mysterious about this where, where these, these stones would light up in a certain way to kind of answer questions. You know, you almost think like one of those magic eight balls, should I go to this thing? You will die. Okay, no, don't go. You know, like, but it was, it's something like that where even in once it talks about even, you know, who shall, what tribe shall go up first? And then like the tribe of Judah would light up. And so they were like, Judah, you go first. Now again, I'm not, I don't know, I don't understand this. I, the more I've studied, the more I get confused. But there was something to this where it was like this, this supernatural guidance that the people would get from this ephod connected to the priest. And, and so, you know, the Old Testament is full of pictures of New Testament principles. And so I I really do think that this is probably, it's the same God Old Testament as New Testament. And what he's doing is, is he's giving us a practical kind of training or a practical understanding of something he was wanting to do in the new covenant with the Spirit. That the Spirit of God would come and dwell inside us. And that is that Spirit comes and dwells inside us, he begins to lead us into all truth that somehow we are inspired in one direction or another through different things that show up in our lives, but it's his guiding us, it's his teaching us, it's it's his leading us into the places that he wants to go like he would do in the Old Testament through the ephod. So I'm not saying go out and get an ephod if you want to, that's cool, whatever. Um, But David in this point was saying, I need to hear from the Lord, I I want guidance from the Lord, so bring me the priest, bring me the ephod. And so Abiathar and the priest, Brought that baby in, and they begin to seek the Lord together. And sure enough, the council came out. I know one of our friends is snoring here, just in case anybody, I, sometimes it's distracting. I know it, and it's totally fine. Um, and uh, and he's he's a good guy, so you don't have to be concerned about it. We'll just keep going. Um, but anyway, so David brought the, the, the question to the, the priest, said, Shall I go and recover them? Shall I stay here? I don't know what to do. And the priest said, Yes, you should go recover your family, and the Lord is with you, He'll give you success. And so they go, they recover everything, they come back. And so the second thing, one is I think the, the, the worshiping the Lord, the, the prayer, the, the journaling, those things are ways we can strengthen the Lord. The second way is to really figure out what the Lord's will is. You will never be in a stronger, safer, more free place than when you are in the will of the Lord for your life. Never. There are a lot of other theories out there. There are a lot of other suggestions out there that if you do you, you'll find freedom. That if you'll figure out how to belong to yourself, you'll be really strong and powerful. If you can go through self-realization, then, then you will really begin to find your true power. Like that, this is, these are common thoughts and, and, and maybe they're expressed in different ways, but this is, this is really what our culture is trying to teach people at this time. That's where freedom is. That's where fulfillment is. That's where power is. But what the Bible teaches is that the will of God, when you're in his will, that's where you will find your your greatest freedom. The Angulos, they're going on this trip. They don't know what they're getting into. They're comfortable and strong here, but they got to go because they don't want to be anywhere else the Lord's not leading them. Because that's ultimately where you're going to find the greatest fruit that you long for. And so David was able to figure out what the will of the Lord is. And as he walked in that, not only did he find, you know, his own strength coming up, but he found that supernatural strength. He found the Lord was fighting with him. And that's why it's the best place to be. Not because you get some sort of supercharge, but because when you're going the Lord's way, the Lord's going with you. He's going with you, and, and he's strong. He's totally strong. This is uh, uh, the way I, I, I wrote it out. Um... It seems like in today's cultural moment, people are trying to find strength or power or freedom, not by surrendering or submitting to God's will, but by trying to bend their environment around them to their own will. Somehow, if they can figure out how to get either all the people that, that affirm whatever their will is, or if they can get some sort of Google research study to, to affirm what their, what their will is... Then, then, then they'll really be on the right track. And they need to cut out all of the things that are in opposition to their will, and then they'll be truly free. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Now, this next part might sound a little controversial, so bear with me, and, and really do. I'm inviting you for, to email me for further discussion if some of these things are a little bit hard to grasp or a little bit challenging for your situation. Um, but one example of this, that, that there's this battle of wills going on, is in the area of sexuality. People are being told that they can truly feel free and powerful if they live into their sexual desires or orientations. This is in opposition to what the Bible teaches to be God's will. Though you may get a rush at first, though you may feel free or powerful for a season, though you might get a lot of groundswell behind you from the cultural moment that we're living in, the Bible teaches that it will end in ruin, not just for you, but for all those you love. Just like David, his decisions led the people, not just him and his own family, but all of his men and all of their families. The ruin was great. Belonging to yourself, self-realization, fulfillment by oneself, you do you. Strengthening yourself in yourself will not get you where you wanna go. It will lead to emptiness. Jesus taught us a different way. He taught us to pray, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And this was not easy for Jesus. It was as if Jesus was saying to the Father, right now, my will wants something which is not what you're wanting for me. This is fascinating. Jesus Christ, the sinless one, God in the flesh, was actually saying to his Father, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to do this thing. And the challenge, the struggle between what he wanted, his desires, and the Father at that moment was so intense, he was sweating blood. So Jesus knows that some of the things you are struggling with, some of the internal orientations or desires that you have are so strong and so familiar to you that it is almost hell to try and go a different way. God understands that. Jesus knows that. He experienced the same thing in that garden. The temptations that we experience are real and they're intense. And God's not trying to take away from any of those things. Yet he's trying to help you understand that if you go that way, you will find yourself in ruins. But if you can turn and go my way, then my strength will be with you and will get you to that green pasture and still water will get you to that place where you actually not only feel like you're an overcomer, but everyone around you can say, wow, look what the Lord has done. Jesus himself had to go through that as well. Jesus said to the Father, I choose your will over mine. I surrender, I put my trust in you. Let me not be ashamed and let not my enemies triumph over me. When we are in line with God's will, we'll not only avoid ruin, but we'll also find his strength flowing in us and through us. Like when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, the imagery there is of two cattle or two oxen, and they're both pulling this heavy weight. And as they're yoked together, their strength is combined so they can go. But, and so Jesus is saying, come take my yoke upon you, because your strength, you're not gonna pull anything. You're not gonna make it anywhere, and you're gonna run out of gas really fast, even if you do move the thing. But if you yoke yourself to me and we start pulling in the same direction, you're gonna find your strength much more than doubled. You're gonna find your strength coupled with my strength and we're gonna get somewhere, somewhere beautiful. He will be pulling with you and he is so strong. This is truly how we will strengthen ourselves in the Lord by getting in line with his will and his heart and his desires for us and for this world. So how do we know God's will? How can you and I, with our brains and lack thereof, with our experiences and lack thereof, in all the cultural confusion, all the different ideologies, how can we know God's will? Well, like that ephod, God has given us his spirit. Jesus said, I must go so that the spirit may come so he can lead you in all truth. And God does lead us by his spirit. And we can develop that. How to hear from the Lord and walk in his ways. But another way that is so wonderful and so beautiful is he's given us his scriptures. The scriptures teach us what God's will is so often. So it's a great place to start. It's a really important place to start. And so what we're going to do now is we're actually going to take a moment. um, And the whole point of this is to kind of help you and your relationship with the Lord. That's the most important thing. And so we're going to take a little time of contemplation Um, We're gonna have some scriptures up on the board. We have a little music in the background. And this space is just a time for you to kind of read through these scriptures. They all talk about a different area of life. Where you're at with your neighbor, where you're at with your sexuality, where you're at with government, where you're at with alcohol or other substances, and just kind of say, Lord, where am I at in relation to your will? Am I in line with you or am I out? The Philistines in the Old Testament actually represent the flesh, the world, the devil. And David, prior to this chapter, where he was at was he was actually trying to go to war with the Philistines against God's people. He was so far away from God's will. And so when he came back and realized everything was gone, he knew it was because he was so far away from what God wanted. And so he remembered who the Lord was. And he said, God, I'm a long way off, but can you tell me where you want me to be? Because that's where I want to go. And God was faithful to tell him. And David quickly found himself right back in line with the strength of the Lord. So no matter where you might be in relation to his will, this isn't so you to feel bad. This is so you can just take that assessment and get back in line and hear what he has for you and start walking in that, which will lead to a lot of strength in the day of opposition. So take advantage of this time. Um, Be at peace. And uh, then we'll close with the song and, and we'll take communion together at the very end.